everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Recommended Experiences Podcast. I'm going to be your host today. I'm Tiffany. And this is the podcast where four working professionals come to talk about video games, movies, and TV shows. My co-hosts today include Alex. Autumn is the best season of the year. Matt. I also agree that autumn is the best season of the year. (laughs) And Yasser. I disagree, but here I am. Lies. (laughs) Uh, So what's your favorite season, Yasser? Oh, summer, easily. Oh, okay. I'm very partial to autumn as well. It's too hot in the summer. Because your birthday's in autumn. It's like a third best for me. (laughs) Third best. Third best. Bro, there's only four. That's basically second I know. last. Yeah, second last. What's yeah, the last winner? Or in last front of half winner. full in or half empty winner. type of thing, you know? Yeah, I guess. It's not last, so. Well, <laughs> you know, there are some good things that come in winter, uh, which is Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, go fuck so, yourself. What a Go segue. fuck yourself. <laughs> um, so basically, last week... Um, we discussed how in a month from now, we had a lot of games that we we could play. Uh, t- Cyberpunk 2077 is a game by CD Projekt Red that was supposed to come out on November 19th. It was actually recently delayed to December 10th. And the reason behind that is that apparently the development studio is having trouble optimizing nine different versions of the game for release. So they needed to push back the game release by about three weeks. Now, when they said nine different versions, I had to like double check, but basically they were planning on releasing this game for Xbox One, Xbox One X, Xbox Series S, Xbox Series X, the PlayStation 4, the PlayStation 4 Pro, the PlayStation 5, PC, and Stadia. So it's, so it actually is a very a lot of different versions of the game. It's all Stadia's fault. Uh, Calling it now. <laughs> oh my gosh! And they're probably secretly working on the Switch version. I don't know. Oh. Um, but what's everyone's thoughts? Do we think it's actually going to come out on December tenth, or do we think it's just twenty twenty one, or twenty seventy seven? Oh, st- stop it! <laughs> stop that meme right now. <laughs> like, what's you know, like it's put itself out of contention for Game of the Year. Um, it's missed, you know, Black Friday and a majority of holiday shopping at that point, you know, December 10th. You know, there's really no reason for them not to. But is this their third delay? Like this is this. It's actually their fourth, their fourth delay. delay. Yeah, like this is becoming a problem. Um, I think a lot of people are really frustrated. So if they can't release it on December 10th, I think they're going to have an even bigger backlash. Um but, you know, it kind of brings a question that, you know, I was thinking about today and, like, want to get your guys' opinion on. Like, do you think that because, you know, like, this kind of not leaving any gamer behind with, like, vanilla Xbox Ones and PS4s in the mix, like, having to make it accessible for those systems, like, do you feel like some of this delay is just because we're wanting to not leave anyone behind? Like, for me... It kind of stinks because a lot of us are trying to upgrade and get to the best console we can and have it delayed right at the end. Um, definitely stings. Listen, we cannot blame the base consoles for this game. 
because this game was scheduled to be released well within this console generation. Like it was a game for this console gen. Mm-hmm. So that's a bad excuse. Oh, like it was tr- built for true. this gen. Um, also, I will I say, correct oh, go ahead. myself. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but Yasser's right. Original release date was April sixteenth, twenty twenty. This is actually the third delay, but it's the fourth date mm-hmm. that we were given. Yeah. So that's where I got confused. But anyway, Yasser, continue. I forget. Oh, so that's <laughs> no, okay, Oops. Tiffany. It's okay. Uh, so really, though, I think. We just have to take this all into perspective. There's been a lot of news about CD Projekt Red recently um, where we talked about how they've been crunching, or we haven't talked about it, but news outlets have been talking about how they've been crunching their employees. Um, CD Projekt Red is a pretty well-respected developer at this point, and they do typically do well by both their fans and uh, their employees. So it's kind of weird to see those crunching stories in the news. And I think that's kind of where this delay came from is probably because they were overworking their employees and they they didn't want to take it too far. I do think they're going to release in December. You don't really push uh, a release date back this late without having to fix up a few additional things that you're just not going to get at a release date. Um, so I don't think it's going to take them that much longer. Um, but at the end of the day, we got to remember that these developers are human beings. I know uh, that one of the developers reached out to um, their fans saying that they don't deserve death threats. And I obviously agree with that. I think we all can agree with that. Um, people are upset, sure. But I mean, it's a video game. It's three weeks later than what you were expecting this holiday. We'll all live. We'll all enjoy it once it comes out. Um, but really, it just sucks because it's such an anticipated game. But we also have to remember that it's also a COVID-19 year. Mm-hmm. Like, we're all going through a lot of weird challenges this year. And it's not really getting that much better as of speaking on October 29th, 2020. Like, shit is still hitting the fans. So I I definitely don't blame them. Um, a lot of crazy stuff happening this year. So I'll just be happy to play it in December. Just to remind people, right, they did, at least through social media, you know, announce that the game has gone gold. So it is content complete. You can play this game from start to finish. Uh, It's, you know, in an executable state. And so it's more so this is that time where they're really using it to, I guess, hone in on additional issues that maybe have come up after the fact that they didn't foresee or, you know, as they mentioned that they are trying to optimize for every single platform that they're releasing on. So... And, you know, at the end of the day, I think what this game is, for the most part, at least gameplay wise, is what it will be, you know, regardless of when it comes out. And, you know, them pushing it back is also them just trying to make sure that it runs as bug free as possible, you know, and it's not like not to throw any shade, but it's not like a Bethesda game where you play it and there's just, mm-hmm. you know, bugs every, you know, hundred minutes you play, you know, every hour or something. So I'd say just be understanding right and also right programming is difficult let alone programming for nine different platforms all with different specifications and you could say it's maybe as simple as saying well you know when you program something for pc right you there's you know almost an infinite number of combinations of specs that someone can have in their pc but then again it's still 
considering all of those different combinations of specifications on top of these eight other platforms, right? Including Stadia and whatever hardware they're running. So I would say, you know, I'm personally understanding of it. If anything, it gives me more time to get through the games that I'm getting with the launch of the PS5. So that gives me more breathing room before I even think about having to play Cyberpunk. And so I'm not to say I'm grateful for the delay because, you know, delays suck in general, but at least it's not like you won't have something else to play or at least, you know, I would expect other people would have more than just Cyberpunk on their mind for this holiday season. Okay. Well, you know, as Yasser has alluded that today is October 29th, 2020, which means that is two weeks away from the PlayStation 5 release and 12 days away from Xbox Series X and S. Nice. So we're getting really close. So close. Um, this, yeah, so close. This week, uh, we actually got a lot a, of unboxing videos. Um, on October 27th, the PlayStation 5 was allowed to be unboxed per Sony embargo requirements. And then yesterday on October 28th, the Xbox Series S and X have been unboxed. And now when I talk about unboxing, literally um, when individuals were given the consoles early for review, they weren't allowed to show what was in the box until Sony and Microsoft gave them the okay. So we got a plethora of media the last couple days with these um, consoles. Now, my question for the group is, like, what are your thoughts about the whole concept of, like, watching someone unbox the console? And, like, do you like that? Do you not like that? Do you want it to be a surprise? Don't even care, whatever. Um, I have to admit that I did watch a few unboxing videos for both consoles. And to be honest, like, I like looking at what's, in the box and I, I just get really excited so that's why I wanted to watch them and personally for me I actually watch based on the personality of the person unboxing the item so I watched a few of my favorite youtubers <laughs> unbox some stuff what about you guys I think for the most part unboxings are pretty unnecessary I mean it's just part of the hype machine and advertising right to say we're gonna give these you know, pre-release products out to, you know, influencers out in the sphere in order to get more eyes on this thing. But for the most part, I feel like the people that are watching these unboxing videos are the people that are probably already getting or planning to get these things in the first place. So it feels like it's you're doubling down on advertising to the people that might want this, but in reality, they probably already have it or they already plan to get it. So I think the unboxing itself really doesn't change the fact that you, I don't think you're going to get more people interested in your product just because they saw someone take it out of the box. Cause it's like, you know, these are things that take out of the box and 99% of people throw those boxes away. And so you'll never see that packaging ever again. So it really doesn't matter. Um, I mean, I have watched some of the unboxings, but mostly just also because I'm part of that group of I'm on the hype train. So any sort of physicality I can see of these products I'm interested in but you know it really doesn't add anything to my life to say oh this is how it's packaged it's in this you know clear plastic wrap who would have thought you know like these companies aren't doing anything special with their packaging so it really doesn't 
get me excited for like, oh, this is the future of boxing. You know, I'm not like, I know there's, you know, there's manufacturer processing engineers out there that deal with this stuff of how they assemble these products on the line and how they can assemble them in such a way that they're easy to pack and ship. And I do understand there's excitement there from a tech perspective, but obviously when you see it at the end of the day, it's, you, you don't know the process that goes behind actually doing it. So it's not that exciting from that side, but you know, to each their own in that way. I feel like I, I haven't had any um, unboxing experiences until now. Um, I have not been interested up until now, but now I'm on the same train as you, Alex. Like, might be in a different car, but like, we're still on the same like hype train, like toot toot. <laughs> but like, we're rolling right along, and I'm just like waiting for any PS5 and Xbox Series X news. And when I see those YouTube videos, oh, I'm right there, and I'm just like watching. And most of the time, it's like with YouTubers that i like um a lot of them my favorite that i've now realized should be a staple of all game reviews is having your own dog and measuring your dog right next to the console i think that just adds adds an extra benefit to us as the user um and consumer Uh, for me i i was interested in the ps5 i wanted someone to show kind of how big it was compared to some of the other consoles um because I have a limited space. I'm look sorry, I'm looking over at my already kind of packed um, media, whatever it's called, box that my TV sits on, whatever it's called. Um, you know, I have entertainment. Center. Yes, that's the word. That's the word. Or media console. Either one. I'll t- you know, all three. I'll take them all. <laughs> Very good, everybody. <laughs> um, you know, I'm having to change some things around. The PS5 is ginormous, and it's coming. It's coming in two weeks, hopefully. Target talking to you um but it's coming in two weeks and i need a place to look you know place it so for me that's kind of what i was looking for the size portion um but honestly it's just kind of adding on to that hype train because two more weeks crazy yeah i would agree with probably all three of you um i do think they're unnecessary like alex said like there's really no point for these videos to exist but also, like Alex said, they are part of the advertising of the consoles. And I don't think it's necessarily only going to be um, influencing the people that are already buying the consoles. I mean, obviously, that's the majority of the people that are watching. But at the same time, if you have a YouTuber that you really like and you're on the fence about whether or not you want to even get the console and then you see your favorite YouTuber talking about it, opening it up, looking like they just got it themselves um talking about how much they like the design uh talking about how much they like the packaging in some cases um so just having your favorite youtuber talk well about a console while they're unboxing it i think could probably influence some people um so it goes beyond just contributing to the hype train but overall it's not a huge deal i don't really go for unboxings i personally love the unboxing um, experience myself but I don't go out of my way to watch other people have that experience. I think that's kind of weird. But I get why it exists. It is advertising. Um, and so that's pretty much it. <laughs> right. I feel like it's kind of dirty, though. You know, when you watch these things and you say it's, oh, this YouTuber I like is unboxing this thing. But especially if it's a pre-release product, they were probably given this product by the manufacturer directly. And so it, 
it kind of feels like even if you really like the YouTuber and even if they say, you know, especially if they say positive things about the product, it's, it might not feel genuine. And I guess that depends on the YouTuber. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's like that kind of like muddy water of saying, is this how you actually feel? Or obviously you're trying to stay in the good graces of the person or company that gave this to you and say, Oh yeah, of course I like this. And it doesn't feel like a pay promotion in a way, but I could see it going either to say it's genuine or if it's just another ad. Yeah. And I I think that's why it's so important as to like who the YouTuber is. And I mean, you're going to have a good sense of, whether or not it feels like an ad if you're the one watching their videos on a consistent basis. But you're right. What were you going to say, Tiffany? Oh, I was just going to say that there were one, two things that I wanted to like shout out <laughs> for these packages. Number one, the Xbox package looked like a freaking gift. It was, it was really, yeah, it was, really it was clean. so nice. Like you like just, yeah. you flip open the lid and it just, everything's presented to you. Like I was like, is this a ring box? Like it was amazing. <laughs> and then <laughs> the, the, yeah, the, um, Red the PlayStation packaging, <laughs> I thought that the tissue paper, the PlayStation five logo tissue paper was so extra. <laughs> I was like, what is happening? Um, but are you going to recycle I mean, your I'm paper? Really ex- I mean, I'm probably going to use it to like, well, yeah. So yes. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, I was like thinking about it. I'm like, nah, I'm probably going to use it. Dude, I reuse all tissue paper. Let's just. Oh, what does yeah. that mean? No, I mean, like, if someone gives me a gift and it's tissue paper in it, I literally keep it to use it for, I've never bought tissue paper. Because oh, I People use it. give you tissue paper as a gift? No, y'all. You know, when you wrap a gift. Oh, okay, got it. <laughs> yes, sir. Have you ever been thought... given a gift before? <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say. Well, I I call that gift wrap, but I guess <laughs> well, it's called tissue paper. Same. Okay. No, 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 no. Okay. So there is gift wrap, but it's when people are lazy and they use a gift bag. And then they I just see. stuff oh, tissue paper I instead see. of okay. actually wrapping the gift. <laughs> got it. Yep. Yeah, I got the same impression of I did watch um, a a couple a couple minutes of the unboxings as well. And I felt like the Xbox's packaging was better. But one of the things that I noticed during the PlayStation unboxing was that they uh, the design that they did on the little uh, both the controller and the console where they had the little X square circle triangle like. Yeah. Yeah. The microscopic ones. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. 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 I did not realize that was part of the design. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll have our own. Well, we'll, I guess we can talk about our own unboxing experiences if we want. Write in at you can tweet us at rxp underscore podcast. Should we stream our unboxings? Um, I mean, if people if that's what the people want, maybe let's let's stream an audio version. You just hear a bunch of paper (laughs) crinkling together. (laughs) ASMR ASMR unboxing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so we're going to move on to the topic of the show. So um, for those of you who might want to click away and reconvene later, for we're doing a spoiler cast on um, video game movie and TV show adaptations. So we're going to talk about a few um, projects or cinematic experiences now. Um, I'll put the 
names of the movies and TV shows that we talk about in the description. Um, so, but we're gonna do a spoiler cast on these. So please click away if you haven't seen any of them. Did Tiffany okay. just say cinematic experience? Yes, I did. <laughs> the recommended <laughs> cinematic experience. Cine- oh, boom! Yeah, exactly. So our first topic is going to be the Witcher TV series that came out in 2019. On Netflix. On Netflix, yes. So I'm going to say that I didn't play the game. I have not read the books. It's on my radar. Thank you, Matt, for letting me borrow those. Uh, I very much enjoyed the show, and I'm very much looking forward to season two. Yeah, I so I've read the books. Um, I own the books. I'm lending out the books to Tiffany, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, played the game. Uh, played Witcher three, a small portion of Witcher two, but mostly Witcher three. Uh, played through most of the DLC of that. Loved it. Uh, watched the Witcher series and really uh, enjoyed it. I think a lot of critiques that I've heard. Um, are valid but i i really loved it knowing that knowing the world so well um i just fell in love with the series just being a reimagining of it and i thought henry cavill did like so good i thought it was a great witcher yeah i've played witcher 3 and i've watched the the first season of the witcher netflix series and as matt said i do heavily agree that my real i guess my only real interest in the witcher series is the character Geralt. And I think Henry Cavill did a great job in portraying that in terms of just how I perceived him while playing The Witcher 3 and then how Henry Cavill portrays him in the series. And, you know, even despite, you know, what people might say about, you know, the storytelling in the series or kind of how they, you know, within the eight episodes that ran, how they kind of structured everything with maybe the different timelines and everything that it still came down to I think the Witcher was very good about its characters and so and I think the the show really did a good job in portraying those um primarily with I guess Yennefer and uh Geralt and so who knows I mean Siri, she's there but obviously this is kind of a different age at least from how I've originally perceived her so I don't know how good of a job they did in terms of portraying her character at that age but I'm interested to see where the series goes in the future where did they leave off the series at the end? Uh, it's when, so they finally meet up. So it's like all the timelines converge where it's like finally Geralt like taking charge of Siri. And I don't, I have no idea what season two is doing, but I mean, at least in the games, right there, there's eventually gets to the point where Siri is trained by Geralt to be a witcher. So I'm not sure if they actually will follow through with that in the show, but especially that how it's portrayed in Witcher 3, I really appreciate that kind of dynamic between the two of them, right? Um, and also just kind of how that plays into the overall story about Ciri's power and how that's kind of set up to be mysterious right in the show of like, oh, you know, Ciri's just not a normal girl. Like, she's got something going on. So I hope that, you know, their, especially their dynamic between the two of them gets further developed in season two. Yeah, so I, on the other hand, did not enjoy the Netflix series or adaptation of The Witcher. I loved 
The Witcher 2. That's where I started off with. Um, I did a brief overview of what The Witcher 1 was, but it was kind of outdated, so I didn't bother. Um, but I loved The Witcher 2. Completely uh, went through that playthrough. And then I loved The Witcher 3. Loved everything about it. I have the DLCs, going through the DLCs. Uh, I love Gwent. I love the world um, of The Witcher series. But for me, honestly, I was expecting more out of the Netflix series. Uh, when I think of a Netflix show or um, a show for The Witcher, I would expect some high production because you're going to have a lot of like magical um, storylines that you're going to have to go through. And I really was expecting something on the in the breadth of um, production quality of Game of Thrones. And that's not what I got. <laughs> I felt like the production quality overall was pretty amateurish. Like I could expect it on a CW channel. Like that's how I felt at Ooh, least personally. Dang. Yeah, shots fired. I know. Yikes. Um, and I I thought the quality of the writing was also similar. So I do not think that it was really a great experience for me. I got through two episodes and I gave up on it. I will agree that I think Cavill did a pretty good job as a Witcher or as Geralt. Um, it, it did seem like he understood the character, but overall, I didn't really like the storylines. I didn't like the writing. Um, so hard pass for me. I mean, it took me a couple like episodes to realize they were all in different timelines, but like once I kind of got that, I was like, okay, I want to see where this goes. And I agree with everybody that Geralt was like, Henry Cavill's Geralt was amazing. And I loved the relationship he had with Dandelion. Yeah. I loved that whole Ooh, friendship. The best. <laughs> and listen, that song, Toss a Coin to Your Witcher, it consumed my life for December into like February 2020. I made that song my Animal Crossing yeah, jingle say, for my island. <laughs> yeah, like I, I love that song. And I honestly like... I'm like actually really excited to watch the show again in preparations for whenever season two comes out, just so I could see all the hints and clues about them being in different timelines. Cause like, I was like, what's happening? Like when storylines were going, going on. Um, but then once I realized that like they were kind of converging together and stuff, that's when I got, I was like really into it. Yeah. Like I, I, I think I came into it having read the books these storylines are, are straight from the books. Um, the the short the book of short stories um, that's actually at Tiffany's place, hopefully um, <laughs> somewhere. It it's is. not here. That's all I know. Um, it it actually has a lot of those episodes. So I actually went through the episodes knowing how they were going to end, and knowing how they were going to get there was you know up to them. Um, and I thought they did a pretty good job. Like, I think it's sometimes hard when you have something that this is in Poland. It's, it's like their Lord of the Rings. You know, this is a very, um, highly regarded series and novel. And, um, you know, I thought they did, I thought they did a good job. Um, I think that the, it was very confusing and I feel like that's where a lot of people kind of fell off the boat, um, and kind of understanding where that came from. And I agree, like it, it was getting a little bit hairy <laughs> at the middle section, but I, I feel like knowing how um, Geralt and Dandelion began, like just as strangers, and then see that bond grow until the final episode, like I, uh, 
they just had such a good chemistry on the screen that was very similar to how they were in the games and very similar to how they were in the books. And so I thought that was just something special. Jerry and Dandy forever. Yeah. Jerry and Dandy <laughs> oh, 2020. I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay. So now we're going to move on where everyone's going to talk about one video game adaptation. So I just came off of watching uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog movie that came out earlier this year in 2020. Before, right before, you know, our lives changed forever. Maybe it was because of the coming of Sonic. Um, but overall, I'd have to say, as an adaptation, I didn't know what to expect because traditionally, I mean, there is a storyline to the Sonic games, but I didn't know how they tried to adapt that. Uh, to a cinematic format, especially one kind of more geared towards, I guess, children as a children's movie. Um, it is about a hundred minute runtime, um, including the credits. So it's more so like a 90 minute movie. Um, but overall for, for the 90 minutes, the pacing was decent in terms of, you know, moving from plot point to plot point of kind of um, in general, how the story flowed. So for this, it was the typical, Sonic, you know, lives in Green Hill Zone. That's where he's from. That's kind of his, what, you know, home universe, galaxy, whatever you want to call it, realm, I guess. And uh, in the beginning of the movie, it starts off with him being chased by echidnas, which are, you know, a race that are trying to, who you might know that Knuckles is a part of. Um, but whether or not he's a move in the, actually in the movie, I won't say. Um, but uh, just a little teaser if that makes you want to go watch the movie. But um, essentially, in order to avoid being kidnapped by the echidnas because they're aware of the power that he has, uh, he is forced to leave Green Hill Zone. And apparently, the safest place to be is on the opposite side of the universe, which is apparently on Earth. And so that's kind of the, the onus at the beginning of the movie where it shows him going from Green Hill Zone to Earth. And from there, it more so becomes this weird... Not to say a coming-of-age story, because after he gets to Earth, the the timeline skips ahead 10 years. So he's when the movie really gets going, he's been on Earth for 10 years already. And it's kind of a coming-of-age slash like Sonic really understanding who he is type of story. And it's weird because right now, the games have never done this, at least to my knowledge, where it's always been Sonic is you know a fast hedgehog, and that's all you really need to know, right? There's no build up of why he's yeah there's no build up of why he's fast there's no reason as to why he just is and you accept it and this movie tries to go in the direction of him finding and understanding like what he fights for and who he is and it's kind of weird in that way Hmm. um and so it's you really can't i guess expect i mean you can expect what happens from a children's movie perspective of the whole typical right climax you know rising action climax falling action uh, that kind of traditional storytelling. But I think where the movie really shines is obviously all the nods that it does um, to the franchise as a whole, right? Uh, there's, you know, when uh, he has a bag of the rings that he actually uses as a teleportation device. So that's what they kind of use to get him from Green Hill Zone to Earth is these rings have that capability. And obviously there's a part of the movie where he drops his bag full of rings and when he picks one back up, you know, it makes the, you know, the uh, quintessential ring collecting sound effects. Nice. 
And there's a lot of little nods like that where um, there's a moment in the movie where he goes from having torn up sneakers to his traditional red sneakers. In this case, they are Nike branded. Um, are they really? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Air Sonics. And so, yeah, he product placement. But yeah, he gets the, the red shoes um, later on. So he doesn't have those in the beginning. And in the uh, final uh, fight, actually, against Dr. Robotnik, who's played by Jim Carrey, uh, it's their traditional type of fight you'd expect from the original Sonic games where it's Sonic repeatedly bouncing off of the vehicle that Robotnik's in. So I thought that was a really neat nod that, you know, this kind of final confrontation between Sonic and Robotnik is based on this, you know, the actual gameplay mechanic of having to jump and, you know, spin attack on the vehicle that Robotnik's riding around in. And so I thought that was really cool um, in portraying that. Um, which actually goes back to, I do want to mention, so the cast, uh, Ben Schwartz is the voice of Sonic for this movie. You might know him from Parks and Rec. Um, and he's done, I think it was, he's done a turtle from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in one of the series, but he's, you know, he, he's had voice acting, uh, experience before and, um, kind of the main, uh, protagonist alongside Sonic who Sonic befriends is played by James Marsden. Um, and it's a weird dynamic where, Obviously, it's supposed to tie you in to say, not to say that you're playing as, you know, the character that James Marsden is in terms of befriending who Sonic um, the Hedgehog is as a character, but it's just a weird tie-up where it becomes kind of like a buddy cop thing where it's like, oh, here's this alien creature that doesn't know Earth slash has been living and hiding on Earth this whole time, and then here's James Marsden who is married to a veterinarian, and so through his marriage to this veterinarian character, um, he has this more kind of uh, nice inclination or positive inclination towards animals. And so when he encounters Sonic, it's kind of the justification as to why he'd be okay with whatever alien creature Sonic is because he resembles an animal and to kind of give you a basis of saying, oh, it makes sense why he's okay with Sonic, even though, you know, from a outside perspective, it doesn't make any sense at all. But, you know it's whatever in terms of just providing you something to grasp on to say, I should accept why they care about each other. And, um, Dr. Robotnik being played by Jim Carrey, of course, obviously it's your typical, I guess, Jim Carrey from like the mask type of Jim Carrey, where he's very crazy. He's a very outspoken character. Um, there are some jokes. I mean, you're supposed to like Jim Carrey and how he acts as Robotnik is more so based on Jim Carrey rather than the actual Robotnik character. And so I'm not sure if that comes across as positive or negative to anybody, but I mean, there are some corny one-liners that he has that I chuckled at admittedly. Um, but overall it wasn't bad, uh, in terms of other nods. So Jim Carrey doesn't really look like your traditional Dr. Robotnik in the movie. He's more kind of just your typical evil scientist type character. But in one of the post credit scenes, um, after, you know, Sonic's dealt with Robotnik, he does kind of resemble more the, you know, traditional Dr. Ed Eggman type look where he has a sh bald head. He actually shaves his head and then his mustache has gone crazy. So it's the, you know, super, actually evil mad scientist type of mustache um and so that was a nice nod to kind of have at least at the end of the movie even though for the majority he just looked like a generic you know evil villain and also another fun after credit scene is uh tails actually comes through a, one of the ring portals and is in search of sonic and so that 
is obviously Sonic a lead in to say that yes, if there is a Sonic two, it'll at least include Tails. <laughs> Um, which I'm somewhat excited for, right? Because whenever you think of Sonic, like Sonic Tails is that dynamic duo. Mm-hmm. And there is no speak of Knuckles actually in the movie at all, um, or Amy, or any of the other characters that you might think. Um, Sonic so 3. It, it really does look... Oh yeah, Sonic 3, sure. Um, which I think with how they set up this series to kind of be that weird growing up into who Sonic becomes in terms of it's the I fight for my friends type of story. Uh, I wouldn't mind it. I mean, definitely I'd say it's not a bad movie. And if you enjoy Sonic, I think you'll enjoy kind of the corny links that and nods that it has to the, the franchise. And I think I'd actually, you know, watch future installments. So overall, I'd, I'd say if you enjoy Sonic, I'd recommend giving this a shot. You know, and especially right now, I watched it on Amazon. It's currently a 99 cent rental on Amazon Prime Video, and I'd say it's definitely worth it for 99 cents. So if you can spare a dollar, you know, go ahead, watch it. It's a fun 90 minute romp. I might check it out. I'll probably check it out. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, like, I was sort of ambivalent about it um, when, like, it released other than knowing the horrifying original Sonic animation that occurred and then they had to reanimate him, which thank goodness he looks so much better now. Um, but I think after hearing your explanation, I might check it out actually. Matt Yasser, are you think you're gonna give it a shot or no? I might. 99 cents. That's okay. pretty steep, you know? Like, you had me at free. Um, but then you, out of nowhere, a dollar. Um, no, I, I might. I, I, I've been wanting to. Um, I enjoyed Sonic. Um, I never had a Sega, but my one of my really close friends growing up had a Sega, so that's how I played Sonic back in the day. Um, but I, I've always been intrigued by it, but for 99 cents, I might as well. It's just kind of finding the time to sit down and watch yeah. one. Yeah, I, I personally never cared for the trailer. I thought it looked pretty bad, but then I heard more and more people saying how it was actually a pretty good movie, and obviously Jim Carrey does a great job with his role. Um, so I do want to give it a try at some point, but it is in quite the backlog, so <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Um, so I think I want to talk about my video game movie because I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> So I'm going to talk about Pokemon Detective Pikachu, which came out in 2019, uh, starred Justice Smith, and Ryan Reynolds voiced Pikachu. What a combo. So, yeah, you know, and um, spoiler alert, there is a sequel in development. So that's that's kind of good news. Love to hear. Um, So Pokemon Detective Pikachu, it's based off of a 3DS game um, that's separate from the traditional Pokemon franchise. And it basically follows the story of the main character, Justice Smith stumbles across a uh, talking Pikachu or rather he stumbles across a Pikachu that he can understand in, um, in the world that they live in all the Pokemon talk like what we expect where they speak their name. Um, So, Typically, other individuals, when they hear Pikachu speak, he's all they hear is Pika, Pika, Pika. <laughs> um, so, but Justice Smith can understand him. And they go on this adventure 
because this girl whose name I cannot remember her character. Um, I, she's played by Catherine Newton. Um, she is investigating a, like a crime or like a missing person situation. So the three of them go on an adventure. Oh, I'm sorry. The three of them plus the girl Psyduck goes on an adventure um and they encounter a bunch of shenanigans uh so i think honestly like ryan reynolds talking as pikachu was very uh, like i was very surprised by that choice i guess um when that announcement came out um but watching it i thought it was such a delight seeing the world just filled with Pokemon just doing their own things like you saw like a squirtle helping a fireman like put out a fire by using water gun you just saw like an executor or a Doug Trio just walking around in the background you saw these bird Pokemon that I can't remember the name of just like flying through the air honestly it was just it was everything a seven-year-old Tiffany would have wanted and I got it now and it was it was so fun to watch uh plot was very average um but I think the nostalgia of it just really brought me back and then you know there was this one scene where they reference the original Pokemon theme song which is just like all I wanted and it was it was a great scene. That's that's all I'll say there. Um, but I definitely think that any Pokemon fan would find this delightful. I mean, I think, you know, it honestly could have been a lot worse. It could have been very like, here's just a bunch of Pokemon. And this boy is just having shenanigans because he can understand the Pikachu and no one else can and it's really like weird um but I think they did a pretty good job of kind of keeping up with like the atmosphere of just the world of they're basically just the living creatures in it I mean I do have to say that some of the plot did get weird at the end with the villain storyline like wanting to abuse Mewtwo's powers like I just I don't want to talk about it because it was that part was kind of weird. Um, but honestly, I would like I would totally recommend this if you're a fan of Pokemon and you like Ryan Reynolds. I 100% recommend watching this movie. I bought the movie like on Blu-ray because I was like, this is a delight. From that recommendation, I did watch it as a fan of Ryan Reynolds and Pokemon, and I agree <laughs> with everything she says. <laughs> i mean it it the villain's like motivation at the end kind of falls off sense at the end well i mean yeah it really falls off at the end like you can understand why he wants to do what he wants to do but but like the it just it got weird it got really weird if i was kid matt you know like 15 years ago 20 years ago this would have been my favorite movie of all time like as a kid i would be all about it but knowing like as an adult like you do see kind of like the strings of of everything but the world building that they had is unreal the character models of these pokemon that i know have caught 
a ton of times is unreal. It's so crazy. Seeing Pikachu like like furry was adorable. Like at first I was like Pikachu's like I don't know what I imagined like a like an otter. Like you know in the in the in the show and then the game like you imagine the skin of Pikachu to be kind of smooth, but the fact that in the movie they made Pikachu more like a rabbit like type or like a mouse cuz it's an electric mouse. Um it made more sense and I just loved it. And like the Bulbasaurs looked so cute just waddling around. Oh my god, it was just it was Psyduck. so cute. So funny. Like everything, everything's yeah. so good. Yeah, so you need to watch it. You'll love it, man. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I, I can't believe I haven't watched it yet. It's actually kind of depressing, but I can't wait to watch it. I think no one really watches a Pokemon movie for the plot anyways, so I'm not concerned <laughs> right. about that at all. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be hilarious. I love Ryan Reynolds, so I can't wait to watch it. I don't know Is it streaming anywhere? why it's taking me this long. You know, uh, Tiffany? I, I don't. I don't, I don't think, think it's streaming so. anywhere, no, but you could bad. probably get it from a red box for like $2 oh, yeah. or something. It, you can get it for cheap for sure. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Alex has been very quiet during this Pokemon. I don't know why you have to point me out, you know, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, do I just want to share more praise on it? I mean, I thought it was fine. Um, I never played the actual, ga- the DS games, so I didn't know how well they matched up with the story there, but I heard that it was pretty good in terms of keeping to the story. And apparently there was a sequel to the first game. So if anything, I would assume that the sequel that's in the works is based on the storyline of the sequel. Um, so if anything, if you want to spoil yourself, you can go and get that game. Um, but I'd say overall, yeah, it definitely was a departure in terms of, I think, trying to differentiate between the animated movies and I enjoyed that. I thought in terms of trying to make it right, how somewhat more serious the Detective Pikachu storyline was compared to typically what the animated movies do in terms of, I mean, I know they're serious storylines, but typically it's just, here's a legendary Pokemon running amok. And in this case, it's another legendary Pokemon running amok, but more tied <laughs> to humans, right? Yeah. So, and, and I think the fact that Pokemon is this kind of symbiotic relationship of, showing how humans live with these Pokemon. And I really enjoyed that kind of aspect of the movie showing that. Matt, what movie have, did you just finish watching recently? Um, well, recently, um, and by recently, I mean rolling the credits an hour ago. <laughs> I, <laughs> in preparation for this talk, I thought, hey, I should go watch Assassin's Creed. Everyone hated it. Maybe I won't. <laughs> <laughs> this is the spoiler. I didn't like it either. <laughs> so you're talking about the movie that came out in 2016, 2016. right? With Michael Fassbender. Yeah, yeah. Um, Michael Fassbender made me hopeful for it. Um, I did have some friends that watched it, gave me some bad reviews back in 2016, and I kind of skipped it. Um, until now, uh, I found it on demand for free, and I, I have YouTube TV, so it was just there. And so, hey. Everything is worth it when it's free, right? <laughs> um, so watched it. False. Anyone who's familiar with Assassin's Creed, if you're not, um, it's kind of a long line of there's two um, groups, the Templars, which are kind of like the bad guys, and then the Assassins, which you generally play as in the games. Um, you are one of their ancestors, and you kind of, this big corporation called Abstergo basically goes into your mind 
and you kind of play out their memories. And so it was all to find this apple of Eden, which is supposedly um, a way to kind of get rid of free will. It's like this big overarching theme, especially of the first couple games. Um, the last few games I've kind of stepped away from because I kind of just been a little bit burnt out from the series. Um, but that's it kind of played very similar out to um, Assassin's Creed 1, which came out um, that I played on Xbox 360 uh, way back in the day. Um, but this was about an hour and a half, maybe an hour 40 minutes without counting the credits um, with a lot of story to explain to people that may not know any of that. And um, it just felt like a crash course and you wound up at the end, you know, I'm an hour away, hour since the credits. I was thinking, oh, gosh, what happened? <laughs> what happened in that movie? Uh, because it was just it was very cut and paste and like, oh, here's this storyline um, because you're you're playing as the ancestor. And then, oh, it goes back to modern times and you play as, you know, Michael Fassbender today. Oh, and then you go back in time and, you know, like you're you're having these kind of like parallel uh, stories that are tightly together but um in a also a way it's it's very loose and um it didn't really play out um the cinematography of it all like it was a mess um the acting was kind of all over the place the writing and everything everybody was very monochromatic it was just i came in thinking oh michael fassbender okay he's he's playing a very angry man okay credits rolling okay michael fassbender he played a very angry man like that's you know that's kind of how i had um you know what i what i found um this was a a tough one because i really enjoy the assassin's creed series and it was awesome to see it um there was a part of me that just loved um a leap of faith which is kind of the most iconic thing of assassin's creed is when they get to a high point in the map um you jump off of that and you kind of land safely in a bale of hay. Um, I, I did miraculously, miraculously, yeah, without breaking anything. Um, I loved it. I, I thought that was awesome. I thought that um, one of the opening scenes where um, there are like five or six assassins on a hilltop, and they all have different weapons. It made me feel kind of like Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, which is one of my favorite Assassin's Creed games. That kind of feel to that trailer, if you want to look back at that trailer sometime, it's one of my favorite trailers of all time um, that really, you know, sunk its teeth in me um, as a kid. Um, but it, it just had a lot of potential. And I, I'm kind of blaming it on that time restraint of an hour and 30 minutes, hour and 40 minutes to have this huge rich series kind of diluted down and what i was left with was just a bunch of okay nods that left me feeling like i shouldn't have even wasted my time um it's interesting though uh, because you know netflix has announced that they are going to have an assassin's creed uh, series which i'm very excited about and i think that they can kind of right those wrongs because i feel like a tv series you can allow your audience to catch up and allow them to understand the world, and from that have a great, uh, a great story. So I'm I'm excited to see um, what they do with that. But you know, you guys have recommended your experience so far. This is a f potentially a free movie you can get, um, but even with that, I would not recommend this experience. I, I thought that um, there's so many more movies out there that you can watch um, if you haven't seen detective pikachu or i'm um, you know 
hanging my hat on Alex's explanation, but even Sonic, like, watch those way more than watching Assassin's Creed. It's not a great film, um, and it's not something to um, to look into before the Assassin's Creed. Just wait for the series on Netflix. I'm sure it'll be better. So I totally saw Assassin's Creed in theaters. Mm when it came out i remember it came out like december of that year and i think like around christmas i went and saw it with a with a friend and i didn't hate it but like i also didn't have much of the background um with the video games but yeah i was like oh this was just an okay action movie i Mm -hmm. guess um but it honestly other than knowing which actors were in it I really don't remember any of the plot or anything. And I never once thought, oh, I should watch that again. So I probably, I'm like, probably with you. It wasn't a you. great plot at all. Yeah. So I'm with you. I probably wouldn't necessarily recommend it either. Yeah, sir. What video game adaptation will you be telling us about today? Well, I'm going to go for a cop-out, really, uh, because my movie is really more of a book adaptation, but it is very video game related. Um, my movie is Ready Player One. Uh, it's actually a movie that I really enjoyed. Um, uh, I don't really think it's worth going into like the overall storyline, uh, mainly because a lot of the joy that I got out of it was nothing to do with the actual plot itself but rather just all the different video game references they managed to stuff into this one movie. And Mm -hmm. when I say so many references, they really had like a whole Mm -hmm. list of references. It's insane. Anything from like Nintendo properties like Zelda, Star Fox, Mario, to uh, like Microsoft properties like Halo, Gears of War, um, and then like anything in between really like Grand Theft Auto, um, Mass Effect, Mortal Kombat, it was just absolutely jam-packed with so many different video game references, and I love seeing those small references throughout uh, the movie itself. Uh, I think it's a, it's worthwhile watching, um, not for the plot, but just for a fun experience. I remember when I watched it, I watched it in 3D, actually, and it did have some cool oh, 3D moments. cool. But um, obviously, if you're watching it now, you're most likely not watching the 3D version, but I do think it holds up regardless um it's a very special effect oriented movie and a lot of the cgi i thought was pretty well done too um it's it's a fun watch um i i'm pretty sure you guys have also seen this movie what are your guys's opinions when you watch the movie i read the book and watched the movie and i actually very much enjoyed the movie because it was so fun to watch and Mm. i also liked seeing all the um, Easter eggs and stuff like yeah. I lost my like mind when like <laughs> Optimus Prime showed up oh, that's good. or like yeah. the auto like I and then like no wait was, was it, it, it wasn't Optimus Prime no it was Gundam yeah okay so uh, no, clearly I, re- <laughs> I really lost my mind because I couldn't remember what it was but <laughs> yeah <laughs> when the Gundam showed up I was like oh my god like um, they changed a lot from the book they changed a lot, but I think the the choices that they made were to um, show a more visually appealing and engaging like movie versus like you know lifting it exactly off the pages. Um, I, but yeah, I, I had a I had a blast. 
I feel like they had like a bet as to how many different properties they could fit into this movie. Because <laughs> it really did seem like there was an Easter egg every other minute. And yeah. even besides the like long list of video games that they included, there are so many like movie properties that they also included. Yeah, like uh, The Shining insane. was a huge part of the movie, at least. <laughs> and I love yeah. that movie. Yeah, there were so many different things, like even Godzilla and Ghostbusters and like Indiana Jones. They all had, there's so many different references in this movie. Yeah, like you and uh, Tiffany mentioned, I enjoyed it for the fact that it felt like Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, but in cinematic form <laughs> <Right>. exactly. <laughs> of everyone's here. Um, and as you mentioned, things like even, you know, seeing someone like even uh, Chun-Li from Street Fighter, like standing next to Tracer from Overwatch. Yeah. Um, there's a scene of that. I'm like, wow, this was also just so culturally relevant to the time when it came out of just having even the newest stuff like on the block, like spanning, you know, basically decades of game media and just entertainment media in general in this one movie. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate it just based on that fact. But yeah, in terms of as Tiffany uh, mentioned, it, I think it really fell apart as it's a movie you watch for those moments, but not necessarily for how it adapted the novel. And I think it's because they change and they cut out some stuff from the novel that I think, at least to me, uh, because I read the, read the source material, uh, made it why made it one of my favorite stories because it really showed, it really had good character development. It really had kind of a good narrative arc of explaining how it is this kind of societal shift of, the fact that the Oasis was this kind of getaway from real life. And they did portray that in the movie, right? With the, the, you know, they showed the stacks and how people living in, I forget the year, but live at there's 2040 something are living in um, these stack trailers and just kind of the fact that there's this uh, kind of dystopian future of splitting, you know, poverty and the drastic difference between that and those that um, have power and wealth and kind of how the Oasis was designed as this getaway of saying, oh, you know, we might live in this reality, but I can have another reality in this virtual world. And I think the the novel did a much better do- job in contrasting that reality to the virtual reality that the Oasis provided. And also just with the, you know, the main protagonist, Wade Watts, just his kind of progression of, you know, starting from within the stacks and kind of rising to someone of prominence because, you know, he's going on this Easter egg hunt, right, in order to find... Um, Halliday's, you know, the the final Easter egg, right, in terms of inheriting the Oasis and kind of his journey in rising to fame and then hitting rock bottom and then climbing back from rock bottom up again, you know, the traditional character arc. And that just being absent from the movie made me appreciate the movie a lot less. Um, and so, yeah, it, it just ended up being kind of eye candy to me. And, you know, it, no, there's nothing wrong with that. I saw it in theaters as well. And I enjoyed it for that fact. But yeah, in terms of, I felt like they could have done a better job adapting the story. And I heard that the author, um, whose now name escapes me. uh, Ernest Klein. Yes, Ernest Klein did have a part in writing the script. So I'd say at least, I guess from his perspective, if he helped kind of formulate the story that I would entrust him to kind of he's the one that made the decisions to change what he did just to kind of fit a more cinematic storytelling. So I can't be too mad about it um, because it's not like they just ripped the source material and just were like, let's just use this as an excuse to put as many, you know, as you mentioned, properties into this as possible, just kind of as a 
you know, collaboration. But other than that, yeah, it's 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 a very okay movie. Um, yeah. Fun fact: the author Ernest Klein has written the sequel called Ready Player Two, which will be coming out November twenty fourth this year. Oh, well, that's exciting. Yes, I'm going to plan on reading it. Maybe after I finish The Witcher. Quick, yeah, I was about to say. Quick yes or no. Um, is Ready Player One worth reading? Yes. Yes. Matt? I've never read it. Oh, okay. All right, cool. I just Thank watched you. the movie. Uh, so I agree that um, it really wasn't worth watching as far as the plot itself. I totally agree it wasn't that great. Um, but again... All the different um, action scenes that I had with all those different characters that I'm sure you'll find a couple that you'll love. I do definitely recommend watching it. Also, before the fans ripped me apart, um, I did say that I liked the fact that Optimus Prime was shown in the movie, even though she meant Gundam. He was in the movie, okay? I did not make that up. Um, He was on Planet Doom, so just making sure... No one's going to fact check me for looking like an idiot. All right. <laughs> Only <that's> me. <laughs> okay. Um, I do have to say, though, um, with the uh, book that um, in terms of it being worth reading, I think the author had a lot more of kind of late 80s, early 90s references to video games. Um, so, I mean, like, you know, obviously he didn't talk. I don't think that he mentioned Overwatch in the book, but I think that's also something to keep in mind. Like, you know, when the book, when he wrote the book, there were other references that. Yeah. The movie took a lot of liberties in modernizing the references for its target audience. So they're like, obviously Overwatch did not exist when he wrote the novel. Cause I think he wrote it back in early 2010s, like maybe 2011, 2012. So Overwatch wasn't out at that point. Um, and yeah, and things like, you know, Street Fighter, the the movie does modernize it, which I can appreciate as well, right? Because you are trying yeah, to bring it totally. into what is happening at the current time. And obviously it doesn't bother me to see that stuff because I find it just as enjoyable, you know, because they're just there, right? It's set dressing. It's like, oh yeah, look at that neat thing. Um, yeah. And it's not, it doesn't materially affect the the actual story plot besides the fact that they actually changed the story. Right, but I just I just wanted to give a preface for listeners out there who might be wanting uh, more relevant references. I guess maybe Ready Player Two will have those references. It's true, I don't know. Maybe we'll find we'll find out. But has the movie you Gen Zers out there? Has the movie been confirmed as like a sequel coming out or no? So I remember hearing that they were thinking about doing it, but I don't remember where that is in the pipeline. Okay. I I don't know if it was confirmed or not. I feel like Spielberg... I mean, like, if this book sells pretty well, I feel like Spielberg would be down to make another movie. Um, and I'd be down to watch. It okay. looks like... Oh, it looks like it's in, oh, the, in the works. Oh, it is? Okay, sweet. If Maybe whatever you... production company out there was willing to make Ender's Game a movie, they should make the Ready Player <laughs> 2 into a movie. That's all I'm saying. Oh, God. That's fair. Okay. Because shout out, Ender's Game, the movie, definitely not as good as the book. If you're interested, go read the book. 
And with that, uh, we'll end today's episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can email us at rxp.podcast at gmail.com or you can tweet us at rxp underscore podcast. Thanks for listening and hope you'll be back next week. Bye. Gotta go fast. Was that from Ready Player One? Sonic. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Womp womp. <laughs> <laughs> pika pika <laughs>